This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. There's not too many positives, but there are some. If you want to take the magnifying glass out and try to figure out what the positives are, one that is very easy to see, you don't need to make the picture any bigger. Adam Thielen, man. Adam Thielen coming in, old wide receiver, off the free agent bargain bin, heap, the DVDs that you might find for $5 in the bin at Walmart. Hey, turned out to be a pretty good movie, rummaging through all those DVDs. Adam Thielen, <laughs> you pop it in, and boom, you're on pace for 1,400 yards. Clearly, we've talked about it a lot. I did not see 1,400-yard pace Adam Thielen coming. I thought that this would be somebody that would struggle to get to 1,000. For me, Adam Thielen is very much so outperforming what I expected of him. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I thought DJ Chark was going to be a lot better. I actually really liked the DJ Chark. I thought it was an underrated signing. I was wrong about that one, too. My wide receiver takes, Wes, haven't really worked out for me this year. Hmm. I thought DJ Chark was going to be good. I thought Jonathan Mingo, that one was a little bit more just like bold take. Hey, maybe this could happen. But I did think Mingo would be more involved than what he is. That's for sure. Hayden Hurst isn't anybody that's providing a lot. And even me, who was more down on Hayden Hurst, I thought he'd be a bigger factor than what he is. That guy's non-existent. So Adam Thielen, clearly the number one option. And if you didn't have Adam Thielen, then I don't know who Bryce Young would be throwing I to. I mean, yeah, you just look at what he's doing. We talked about at the beginning of the season, the uh, steep curve that receivers once they start to get older, start to take when you talk about getting over that 30-yard mark, but he's got a touchdown in four of the last five games. He's got four straight games with 75 yards or more. That's the first time since weeks one of eight through the 2018 season that he's done that. Three games of at least 100 yards, uh, and then Sunday against the Dolphins, 100 yards uh, on eight receptions in the first half. That was the fourth time in his career that he recorded 100 yards prior to halftime and the first time he'd done that since 2019. He's first in the league in third down receptions, second in total receptions, third in receptions resulting in a first down, and ninth in receiving yards. Man, he's been Mr. Dependable for this offense, and he's been doing it in a manner that we thought that he would do it in. This is a guy, when you look at targeted air yards for this guy, and you look at one of the leaders, a guy like Tyreek Hill at 12.9, but this is a guy 7.7, so he's going to bludgeon you with short to intermediate routes. He's getting open, and the thing is, when teams come in, and that that's always an impressive thing to me, is when a guy comes in and you know that he's the focal point of the offense, whether it be pass game or run game, and for him to still come out and put up the numbers that he's putting up, it's very impressive. I think he's having a great season. I'm surprised that his name hasn't been mentioned in trade rumors, but the Panthers would be just out of their gourd to do something there because he's the only guy that they have right now on offense that's worth a hill of beans. Yeah, you can't trade him. <laughs> you can't. Spence writes in, Walker, why don't we flip Adam Thielen for third round? Right, yeah. He ain't going anywhere, so why not sell everything? Okay. Because if you get rid of Adam Thielen, then you get rid of 59 targets. If you get rid of Adam Thielen, then you get rid of the guy that is the fifth most targeted player, the sixth most targeted player in the NFL, and the only man moving the ball through the air consistently. So if everything is set up to make sure we get 
the best performance from Bryce week in and week out, and you decide to trade the only thing working out in the past game for a third-round pick, this fan base will go to Scott Fitter and fire him himself. They will go to right. David Tepper and try to enforce him to sell the team. It'd be a mob. But and you like I get it. I I the, the argument here is that the dude is over 30 years old. His best football is behind him. Even if he's having a great year this season, you can't expect it next year and the year after, right? I like it's understandable that you would want somebody younger, more in their prime, whatever. But you can't do it if Bryce is, this is the only reason that he can move the ball downfield at all. It's because of Adam Thielen. And if you get rid of that, it's not going to go over well. And you thought this was bad football before. Try doing it without Adam Thielen. Yeah, and the thing is, too, when you look at the other receivers, the fact that guys are struggling to get open on a consistent basis. You haven't seen from Mingo what you want to see. Thielen is dictating the coverage right now. He's helping Bryce Young immensely because Bryce Young can dictate the coverage. I mean, he can read the coverage off what Adam Thielen dictates, and other guys are going to be able to benefit. Hopefully, that's the goal. That's the design because teams are going to be so focused on Thielen, but he's definitely had a flashback season. Uh, I'm not going going to sit here and say I thought he was going to be this productive, but uh, when you look at the numbers that he's putting up, we said it yesterday on pace for over 140 catches with him at this point. It's just a matter of health if he's going to be able to achieve really good numbers because if he's on pace for 140, I think it's safe to say he's more than likely going to cross the 100 catch mark. Oh, yeah. He's got 49 right now. Yeah. I, it's And they're going to be down. Now, that I did not see. The Carolina Panthers are going to, just speaking of game script, as we always do for over-under props, yeah, I mean, he's going to get to 100 receptions easily, especially because he's the type of receiver. Now, this is what we did see coming, as you mentioned. He, having a lot of his receptions come within, like, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage because those are easier passes. And Bryce Young is going to make those, especially if the offensive line continues to struggle the way it has. Is is the reservation to trade him because you just don't trust Scott Fitterer to make the right draft pick more so than just putting your rookie quarterback in a, in a terrible spot? Because like, I think that's my thing is that, like, I, as much as I think they should trade Brian Burns, they should look to trade Adam Thielen. Hell no. How much do you trust if Scott Fitterer is here to get to get it right because his, dra- his, his draft record isn't turning out very good? That is really far down on my list. I'm with you. It's not like Scott Fitterer has a great track record. But you're. But I'm hung up on the trading Adam Thielen. You think they should do it? No, I'm not saying they should. Should, oh. should they explore it? Yes. Because you could get well if you explore it, then it yeah, means I mean, you might like do you it. should be open to it. Like if if a team calls you willing to give up a day two draft pick and you're not going anywhere, you should explore the move because then you'll find out what you really got in Mingo, what you really got in TMJ. The reservation is going to be you trade away another great offensive player to to give a GM a draft pick that more than likely he's going to get wrong. Yeah, if you trade Adam Thielen, man, that means you're just like, hey, we're all out on this season, and we're going to take the only good thing away from Bryce Young. No, I mean, they are 0-6, so they are out on the year. Yeah, like, you're but, not going anywhere. Yeah, but you can't, you can't trade him because uh, he's got the cap hit next year of $9.9 million. You can't really beef about that. that. That's a great salary for a guy. You want to keep weapons around him. And at the pace that he's playing at this season, I think he's got another season of or two of productivity, you don't want to take that away from a young quarterback because Mingo at this point, let's just keep it a bean. If he keeps it going the way he's going, he could be a bust, okay? You would have him as a good block 
for your receiving core as far as fundamentally laying him there, and then you build around that. Then you get some more young guys, or you add another free agent out there on that court. So then next year, you come into next season, he has a bona fide target, a guy he can trust, and then you can go into free agency and perhaps add another piece to that, draft, add another piece to that, and then you can start to round out a really good receiving core. But if you get rid of this guy now, not knowing what you have in Mingo, TMJ looks like it's pretty much a wrap for him. Bryce Young will be out there just dying, looking for somebody to throw the football to. And that's just another grocery to the list. When you've got a guy, he's got to be at this point the biggest value in the league as far as a free agent with what you're getting out of him and what you're paying him. If you want to trade Adam Thielen, and there are reasons to do it, then you have to wait until after the season is over. Because if, you are, if you're worried about him losing his value, the only reason I think he would lose his value this year is because he gets hurt, which is a risk. It's a risk for every player playing in the NFL. But the reason I don't want to trade him this year is because everything needs to be set up for Bryce Young to have the best year possible. And if Bryce Young is going to continue to play, if he's going to continue to go out there every single Sunday, and you take away Adam Thielen, that means this offense could get even uglier than what it's already yeah. looked like. If you wanted to trade Adam Thielen, you have to wait until after this season when you're going to have some cap space. Then you can allocate those resources to other wide receivers. Then if you don't want the $9 million cap hit on Adam Thielen, then you can move him, trade him. If somebody else feels like he could be a nice possession receiver for them. And let's say that Thielen wants to contend. It's hard to envision Carolina contending next year especially after an 0-6 start. So if that's something where it's just a, hey, thank you so much for helping us out. We're going to move you. Perfect. I would like to go to these teams. Hey, you know, wink, wink type of deal. We'll, we'll make sure we take care of you. That's the only way you could do it. And there are reasons to. But in the middle of the season, man, that's just saying, that, that's just trying to make it as hard on Bryce as possible, which is not good practice from a franchise that drafts a guy number one overall. And I don't see him wanting to go anywhere else with him having this renaissance type of season in his career. And he's looking at how much he could eat over the next two seasons or so or whatever the case may be. But especially this year, I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere because he knows that he's going to be the man uh, more than likely for this offense next season. I just want to clarify. I don't want them to trade him away. Like, you know, like I wanted them to trade away Brian Burns. I'm just saying that, like, let's say a Detroit, let's say Debo Samuel, like there's a massive, a massive injury on a contender and a team was willing to give up a day to pick. You've got to explore it. It would not it would not be wise because like then he'd basically be what Jacksonville quarterbacks have been before they got Trevor Lawrence, which would be a, maybe in theory, a really talented guy with no one to throw the ball to. And the track record says those guys don't pan out, and then Bryce Young would probably go on to be a bust, and we don't want that to happen here in Carolina. Yeah, if everybody has a prize, too. I mean, clearly, we can't say, you know, oh, two first-round picks. Yep, not tra like you trade Thielen for two first-round picks, as much as that might hurt him this year. But for anything that you would realistically get in return, even at the most optimistic of views, it would be tough, and I hear you. It, you might want to explore it, but if you do want to, it has to be after this season. And if not, you're going to have enough cap space to keep Thielen as possession receiver and then put somebody else alongside him. <sighs> Remember, yeah, not to mention he can still tutor the young guys. Yeah, that, and that's going to help with a Mingo that hasn't figured it out. We'll see what happens with Terrace, and we'll see what happens with any kind of tight end play you might be asking for. How much is TMJ being a bust going to be Matt Rule maybe trying to force him to play while hurt? 
and never allowing him to be a hundred percent. There were some other times where like he just didn't make plays. But I mean, how much did Matt Rule just take all the confidence away from that kid? Because he was like, yeah, he he needs to get back. And it's like nah, he's not healthy. He's just a bust. I ain't no rhyme or reason for it. He's just a bust. I usually admit it's like I I I know I love wide receivers. That's the joke. I will give up on wide receivers too long, but I will give up on them. There is something for me with Terrace Marshall where it's like, man, I've just I've seen too much on the field to like to feel like there was something there to work with mm-hmm. in a couple of scenarios, whether it be injuries taking it away from him, whether it be the Matt Rule thing you're talking about. Because, yeah, I mean, with worse quarterback play, he was starting to be a downfield threat last year. Like, it was so... After earlier in the year being a healthy scratch for a special teams player. Well, yeah, and yeah, we'll see. But it's sad. That one hurts me, Fitty. Why'd you bring him up, man? That one hurts. <laughs> and now I'm just reminded of Terrace Marshall Jr. not working and Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo not even uh, producing a ton in the first six games of his rookie season. Earlier this week on the Wesson Walker Show. Let's head over to the Body Works Plus guest hotline and talk some ACC football with Andrea Adelson. You can follow her on Twitter, by the way, at A Adelson ESPN. Andrea, do you like horror films and scary movies? Or are you with me in saying no thank you? Yeah, no. Uh, Barbie, Taylor Swift, those are more my feet, guys. <laughs> I'm, I just, I, I can't. You know, it's funny. We had Dino Babers on our show a few weeks ago, and he's a huge movie buff. But he also hates scary movies because that means when he closes his eyes at night, he thinks about all the possibilities of ways he could potentially, you know, meet his end. He doesn't want to do that. So he doesn't (laughs) watch scary movies. (laughs) Wow. Dino Babers, my spirit animal. I think a lot of people have talked about that before, but I didn't realize it was because of our hatred of scary movies. <laughs> now I know. I want to know a little bit more about this article you wrote, too, Andrea, on ESPN. I think it was dropped yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. It was about Tez Walker and his fight, his long NCAA, uh, his fight with the NCAA for eligibility. Here's what I want to know. What's something that you learned, Andrea, about Tez Walker and UNC's fight with the NCAA to play? You think more people should know about? What's something being under discussed you feel is important yeah it's a great question because there was a lot that was happening behind the scenes that i'm not sure a lot of people maybe understood or knew about in the moment when the ncaa initially back in august said he couldn't be eligible it wasn't as if they made that ruling over a week's time this had been a process that had lasted six months up until that point, and it involved multiple appeals, multiple reconsiderations, multiple ways that North Carolina was trying to get Tez Walker eligible. So it's not as if this was uh, an easy, we'll file the waiver and then we'll just wait and hear from the NCAA. It wasn't anything like that. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of interpretation of what North Carolina could or could not do to file on his behalf. There were rule changes along the way. For example, NC Central and Kent State were both in favor of Tez Walker having immediate eligibility and were willing to file waivers on his behalf to do that. In the past, the NCAA would accept those waivers, but they changed the bylaws and any sort of waiver in support of eligibility is no longer really considered anymore. That was a change along the way that caught North Carolina, I think, a little bit off guard because remember their point was that uh his time at nc central because he did not play there it should not count against his eligibility so they tried a different route 
uh, with using COVID exceptions to try and make that. And again, there were a lot of different um, uh, conversations back and forth between the school and the NCAA. And I think it's also important to remember here, guys, the way this thing ended made it feel as if this was a very adversarial process. There was a lot of animosity because of the back and forth from the statements and what North Carolina was saying, what the NCAA said. But in all honesty, the NCAA wants, I know it doesn't seem this way because of what happened. They want to be able to make sure guys are, are have what they need to be eligible to play. So from their perspective, they're, they're happy it worked out. They didn't want this to be an adversarial process. Um, what happened ultimately was to the great benefit of Tez Walker and Tez Walker also repeatedly told me he is grateful to the NCAA that they were able to change their mind. It just took a lot to be able to get there. Well, and it became adversarial when Mac Brown released a statement that he did. And then once yeah. we did that, the NCAA, they responded. And then when even Tez Walker was ruled eligible, that was adversarial too. Even when yeah. they're, we got the good news. We have all this information. We have new information. It was North Carolina's fault that we didn't have the information that we needed in the first place. But now he's eligible because we found it. Uh, did, do we know what that info is, Andrea? Or is the NCAA just you know saying something as to uh, why they allowed Tess Walker to be eligible? And it really wasn't all that different from the information they had in the first place. Well, there's conflicting information in that regard. Uh, and so you look at the statement from the NCAA, and I reached out to comment for comment from the NCAA, and they pointed to that statement. So they stand behind <laughs> this, that statement, right, that there's new information. Tez Walker said there was new, no new information. But then you read the statement from North Carolina's chancellor, and he mentions there was information that they then presented the NCAA that came up after the process. So when I asked, uh, Tez's attorney, Elliot Abrams, what was the new information? He also declined to say because of attorney-client privilege. So something is there, right? We don't know what it was. We don't know what it is. Uh, the NCAA is not going to put out any of that information because that relates to, you know, student-athlete pri privacy um, concerns. Um, Tez Walker and his attorneys could put it out if they wanted to, but they don't have to either. So we're caught in this gray area where the NCAA stands behind the statement. Tez Walker says there was no new information. The attorney says, well, I can't really release anything, even if there was new information. And so that, to me, of all the things that were in that story, that's the one thing I couldn't get answered. That's the one thing I don't feel definitively good about is what was the new information? Was it new information? Are we parsing words here in terms of the word new? Um, was it supplemental information that uh, helped the case? You know, I mean, that word new, right, can yeah. probably be used in several different ways. North Carolina insists, insists that they gave the NCAA every bit of information at the time that they had it. So, again, you could parse those words and say, well, when did they have the information? Uh, so the bottom line is the NCAA stands behind what they say. Tez Walker says what he says. North Carolina says the third thing. And uh, unless somebody comes out with it, I think that's going to remain uh, a bit of a gray area. Andrea Adelson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow her on Twitter at A Adelson ESPN. And Andrea, you're looking at the ACC right now, three undefeated teams at the top and then three more teams with one loss. Do you have a bold 
uh, prediction about how you think that this thing will shake out and which teams uh, have the most potential to get to Charlotte at this point? Two undefeated teams. Uh, Louisville lost, so it's just Florida State and North Carolina right now. Well, I guess uh, what ACC are... records <laughs> undefeated in the okay, ACC. Record. I got you. I yeah, got sorry you. about that. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Um, I, I think Florida State has the clearest path uh, to making it to Charlotte. Uh, quite honestly, although you know they do have some difficult games, starting with Duke, and that's the other undefeated team in ACC play. I think you're referring to. Um, so. That is going to be a challenge, I think, for Florida State this weekend. But the fact that we still don't know if Riley Leonard is going to play, I think, and the fact that it's at home in Tallahassee, gives Florida State an edge. I think they're probably going to be challenged on the road at Pitt. We just saw what they did against Louisville. And I think Miami is going to give them a challenge as well. So I don't necessarily think that Florida State is going to just sail through the rest of their schedule. I think there will be challenges along the way. But in my view, I think they have the best chance at getting to Charlotte undefeated. North Carolina and Duke have a lot of challenges left on the schedule, including playing each other. Um, and North Carolina's got to go on the road to play Georgia Tech, a place where I think they're 2-10 and ten over the last 12 games. They've lost their last two uh, in Atlanta, including last season. Um, and uh, then they also have Clemson on the road. So I don't necessarily think that North Carolina it has as easy a schedule uh, to make it undefeated to to Charlotte the way that that Florida State does. But I'm gonna, if I'm going to put them in order, I think Duke has the hardest road yet because they've also got Louisville on their schedule in addition to North Carolina uh, and uh, Florida State. So if I'm going to put it in order based on strength of schedule and win probability to make it to Charlotte, I still think it's going to be Florida State and North Carolina. I just don't know if North Carolina is going to make it there undefeated. All right, and then last thing before we get you out of here, biggest surprise and biggest disappointment of the ACC season thus far? I think Duke is the biggest surprise, quite honestly, based on the schedule that they had to start the year. I don't know how many people would have them ranked right now in the top 25 with a number four defense and scoring defense uh, at this point in the season. Um, so I would say that. And the biggest disappointment, I think, has been Pitt. You probably could say Wake Forest also. It might be a tie uh, between those two schools right now. Um, and these are two schools that played for an ACC championship just two years ago. And they're now at the bottom of the ACC standing. So if I had to pick one, I'd still probably give a slight edge to Pitt. But we'll see what happens because they're playing each other this weekend. So that'll be like a really good barometer to figure out which one uh, maybe could take the lead in that uh, in that department. Inside Tez Walker's long NCAA fight for eligibility. Go check that article out on ESPN.com. You can also see it tweeted out on Andrea's timeline on Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. Andrea Adelson on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Great stuff, Andrea. We really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me again. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. How should Tar Heel fans be feeling? Should you be guarded? Should you go all out and talk that trash? Are they a legit playoff candidate? Let's talk about it all with Deems May, Tar Heel Radio Networking. Here I'm on the pre and post game. Deems, what's going on, man? How you doing? 
Hey guys, y'all doing all right? We're doing great, man. We're doing great. And Heels fans, I know, are very thankful for this football. Heels fans that like the Panthers teams are especially thankful for this football season on Saturdays. It has given them something to enjoy in the fall. Have you been surprised, like, as good as the defense has been, the O-line feels, although I know they had some rough moments the other night, but the O-line feels better. Have you been surprised how well they've played or not really? Uh, I tell you, defensively, I think um, the way we've been tackling compared to last year has really been a great surprise. Uh, we're we're thinner up front. We're a little bit quicker on the defensive line. We're tackling in space well. We're going inside and out. Our our defensive linemen are really rotating a lot. We're playing a lot of guys. Our linebackers are, are playing a ton of plays. But other than that, we've got a good little rotation on defense, and, and I think the tackling has jumped out the, the most to me. You know, there's teams out there have guys in space. Last year they would go 30 or 40 yards. We're tackling them in space right now, and I think that's been the biggest improvement on defense for sure. Deems, we're going to talk to Power Eccles tomorrow about, you know, his – Great season with the heels and being from here. How special is that duo? You, you said it in passing there, but Cedric mm-hmm. Gray, Power Eccles, tremendous duo, both from Charlotte. Uh, how how uh, how proud are you of these two guys? Yeah, they're they're both Mecklenburg County guys. And, and I asked Power um, after the game the other other night. I said, "Did you hear the wind come out of Van Dyke when you hit him?" Because oh, yes, sir, it came out of him. So <laughs> he is a bullet man, and he is a dog. And Cedric's uh, he's the leader out there, and he's everywhere. And he's very, very underrated. Both of them are. Those guys play a lot of snaps, and they're a huge part of, of why we're much improved on defense for sure. And some great kids from Mecklenburg County. So I'm glad you're having them on. What uh, What do you think is what has Gene Chiswick done to to improve this unit? I mean, I know the kids on the field have to make plays, but what what do you think that has Gene done things differently that maybe you've noticed that that the rest of us kind of haven't? Well, I, I, we talk, I think we talked about this early in the year, right before the first game, and, and we, we never really recovered from the Appalachian State debacle up there last yeah. year, and we had a lot of different you know, miscommunications between corners and safeties and guys just not being in the right spot. We got some new guys in there that brought a little bit more life. Fuzzy has been in there. I mean, there's just some guys that have come around uh, that, that are playing, um, playing better football right now, and I think he hasn't done a whole lot schematically at all. But I think the communication between all the coaches is a lot better right now. Uh, they're looking at each other. They're getting the snaps in there. They're, I mean, they've got the leader in Cedric Gray out there. And I just think that, that schematically things are the same. Second year with them, feeling about more, more about what they want to do. And, and the communication and, and the being able to get along between everybody in there and being on the same page has, has really made a big difference defensively for sure. Deans, if you did a listing of Tar Heel team MVPs, for this season, obviously at the very top and everything is is Drake May. Mm-hmm. But could you make a case when you use the word value in that question mm-hmm. that Hampton, that running back, could almost be way up there with Drake May for what he's doing for this offense to allow Drake May to establish now with Tez Walker what this team can be? Yeah, I tell you, um, Bone, that, that was the biggest surprise and the great surprise on, on Saturday uh, was the way we ran the ball against Miami. Miami came in number one against the rush in FBS and 58 yards a game, and, and, and you know, we gave up what, probably six or seven holding calls. We, we didn't adjust real well in the first half against that defensive line. Man, they were fast. They had a huge safety in there. They, they were good. I mean, that, that after that win, I was like, you know what, that's a good defensive team. And for Hampton to almost get 200 yards, I was like, you know what, you know, I, yeah, we should be guarded on this going forward. We were 9-1 and one last year and lost the rest of them, but we can be pretty good if we can run the ball like that. And Hampton's been great. I tell you, one of the Another value up there is Corey Gaynor, our center. Um, I six six year guy from Miami, and just kind of the leader up there. And 
and Lampkins from Coastal Carolina, another transfer that came in. He's a dog now, and he is a mean dude, and we're running behind him. And, and that's been that's been a, a huge surprise, that running game, especially against a really talented Miami team last Saturday. Stop texting about Deems May's son, Drake. We go through this every time. He is not Mark May's the father. Deems May has his own son doing some stuff. This is not Drake's uh, father. Oh, oh, my I God. Feel like, I feel like we have to do paternity test radio every time Deems comes on. We might just want to disclaim that you're Drake's your son here at some point. It's like hey, Mark, You know what I'm going to do? Hey, next ne- next year after the draft, when, when that signing bonus comes, I may, I may try to put something in for it. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're going to. We're going to watch draft night and go, is that Deems at the table? (laughs) Oh, that would be news. That would be news. Yeah, I feel like Maury Povich explaining who the father is here every time Deems comes on. Bizarre. But anyway, I get get the confusion. I get the confusion there. Um, Deems May is with us, Tar Heel Radio Network, former tight end. Mark May, though, former Tar Heel quarterback, and Mm -hmm. uh, and Drake May's son. So what do you think about the way Drake has played? I mean, I think we all just... Take it for granted. I know early it's, he, he threw, you know, a couple of picks that felt uncharacteristic. But of late, man, it just feels like he is just dealing. Do you, are there things again that you kind of see with him that you feel like he's like? Has he improved his game? He was great last year. Are there things you're noticing where you're like, yeah, he he worked on that, and it's even better this year. Yeah, Mac. I think I think the thing about early on in the year, he was pressing a little bit. He probably had a little bit of PTSD from last year, thinking he had to score every single time, you know. And he was pressing yeah. a lot. Then he kind of got there and said, "Hey, man, this defense is a lot better. A punt's not that bad a play. I don't need to fit this one in the window." And and the last couple of games, having Tez in there, getting those safety deep, you've seen those tight ends come open. The windows have gotten a little bit bigger all the way around. The passing lanes have gotten bigger. And then our line stepped up, even with all those holding calls on that last pass to Tez Walker. I mean, they gave him four or five seconds to let that dig come open across the middle. And and no matter what you say, he's he's the most accurate out there. I don't know if he'll be the first quarterback taken, but he's the most accurate in that draft. And some of those throws he's made this year and last year are incredible. But playing a lot better right now. Um, our running game's so much better. We're not doing a lot of you know run pass options on third and two. We're letting our linemen come off, and, and that that opens up that play action. So. I've loved the play calling so far from Chip Lindsey and, and, and our offensive line are getting after it. Uh, but, yeah, he's, 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 he's better, a lot better, and he's still as accurate as ever. The question that comes up about UNC, and, and probably not against Virginia or Campbell, obviously, but, you know, Georgia Tech's coming up along the way and mm-hmm. then stayed at the end, and then Duke and Clemson are, are good, so that wouldn't be necessarily a slip-up. But do you, do you worry about a moment here where they, uh, the heels la- uh, have a mental lapse? Or do you think oh, that, do you think this yeah, team I mean, is built? Do you think this team is built though a little mentally stronger than the last couple of years? <laughs> you always, as a Tar football fan, you always prepare for 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 mental laps. I tell you, <laughs> you, you really do. Last year, you're you're nine and one and up twenty one to three on Georgia Tech. So you know you never know when it's coming. We're like that dog in the doghouse, you know, that that thinks that that that. You stick your head out and come on out, and right when you do, you get kicked right in the teeth. So <laughs> we're going to you know staying away from the cliches. Uh, this team is is, is more mentally uh, mature. Um, I think they're better tacklers right now. They got some great spots at skill positions, but no, you, you stay guarded, Bone, and, and that 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 finish is tough. I mean, you don't look past these at all, but you know Duke, Clemson, NC State, um, that that's a gauntlet at the end, no matter what people's records are. 
Text line, Scott May is Sean May's father. Okay, well, enough. This is this is what I'm dealing with right now. I got this, Deems. I got this, Deems. Oh, oh, I'm out of Mays. I got yep. nothing. I got, I got nothing. I'm out of Mays, but that's pretty that's funny. Be enough. All right, Deems. Uh, I know you're enjoying the season, man. Uh, you you were great as always, putting into context this great season so far. I hope they keep it up, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, one quick question for you guys. Over and under on the Hornets at 31 and a half. Over. Wins this year. Over. If we can't go 32 and 50, it's time to, you know what? That, that, I'm a season ticket holder, so I want to get my last little Charlotte in, but really enjoy being on with I you I mean, guys. That's, that's five more wins than last year yeah. with, with what we've we've got. You assume, knock on wood, you're going to not be that injury riddled. I mean, they, right. yeah, I mean, Brandon Miller's going to, I think, be impactful right away coming off the bench. The question now is Bridges, though. Yeah. Like, what happens yeah. there? We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. But, I, no, I think they're that's good enough over. to at least win. 35 games or so. Was, yeah. So, yeah. Deems, you should take us to a game this year. Yeah, you got yeah, good seats. On. You got good come seats. On, I, do. I, got, I got great seats. Y'all just have to get up so early in the morning. But y'all you, come on, we'll go. You, you, me, Mac, and MFG. MFG. How about that? I'm in. That's a crew. Oh, that is, that, is yeah. a, that is a crew right up front by the coaches, baby. All right. Yeah. All right, Deems, I need to know. When you asked us, like, hey, what do you think for the Hornets? Over, under. So we said over. Does that mean that now you think we're under? Or were you like, did you were you going to go opposite? Of our, no, of our- <laughs> Lord, if we can't go 32 and 50, okay, after, you're with us. You know, with everybody, then we've got a problem. Yeah, right? I would agree. I would agree. All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. I Be good. It. Enjoyed it. Shower shame and share your mornings with Mac and Bone. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. The official home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. If you want to send in what is the singular worst decision in Panthers history, we'll take it. But arguably one of the best decisions ever made was signing quarterback Jake DeLome. Radio network analyst, Hall of Honor member, and all-around pretty good dude, Jake DeLome is with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Jake DeLome, what's up, man? How you been? I'm great, man. How are you guys doing? I can only imagine what some of the submissions would be. You can't. It's not suitable for work, Jake. Half this stuff on my text line. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> That's how it goes, though, when you're losing football games. You've been a part of good and bad in your NFL career. You know how this goes. But um, I, I want to ask a question to you this way. Uh, this is not me, the radio blowhard who gets paid to ask football questions. Like, this is you, you got a son, right, Jake, if I'm not mistaken? No, I do oh, not. I have two girls. I'm sorry. You have two girls, but you got a daughter. You got kids. So let's say your kid walks up to you and says, Dad, why do the Panthers stink? Why, why is Carolina 0-6? What answer do you give them? What's the most simple version of that answer? Well, the first thing I would say is that, yeah, we're not good right now, but we're starting to see some growth. And you got to remember, let's look at the history of number one overall picks. We have to trade up to get a number one overall pick in Bryce Young. We have to give up our number one wide receiver and some other assets and we don't have many assets. We've had some injuries. I said, but we're going to be just fine. I love what I, I truly believe in the bottom of my heart for the next decade. This short-term pain will be just fine for the long-term term gain that I think this young quarterback is going to bring. And that's what we're dealing with right now. I believe that's from the bottom of my heart. I think it's playing out each and every week. People might be rolling their eyes or whatnot. That's fine. But just to watch this quarterback play from week one until now, just little by little, 
and we'll continue to add pieces around him, I think we'll be okay. And I agree with you. But as a radio host who's on the front lines of these conversations every week, Jake, I got to be honest, I've been taking some shrapnel and, and I've had to circle the wagons a couple of times when it comes to Bryce because I see good things. I saw even more good things against Miami on Sunday, but it hasn't led to wins. So, so one quarterback evaluating another quarterback, you know what you're talking about. What are those really good things you're seeing so far from Bryce Young? Well, I just think we're starting to actually throw a few more passes down the field. I think early on, the first couple of games or four games, our you know yards per attempt were were pretty were pretty minimal to say the least. And I, I go back to week one. Jesse Bates baited him a couple of times, no pun intended, but he baited him to throw the ball over the middle, and that was a veteran safety. Well, to be very honest, and watching the game this weekend from the booth. I saw the same thing that Vic Fangio was trying to do, show him a look pre-snap and then move to a post-snap to funnel some people over the ball and the backside safety could kind of rob and pick it off. And we never went there. I just think those are little things. But watching him throw the ball with anticipation and accuracy, a couple of times we went outside the numbers, which I don't think we've done enough of, in my opinion, offensively, to throw outside the numbers. Um, I just I, I continue to see growth. And uh and listen, it's going to be a tough year. I, I said it before the season. I thought we could maybe be a seven-win team. Hopefully, you never know what happens. I don't think we get there right now. I, honestly, I mean, I, that's not hard to say. But I've seen some there's, – there's been some flashes. Uh, I think our schedule gets somewhat better. If we can get a couple of guys back, if that's going to help us get our run game going. I like what we did last week running it with Chuba, the downhill running. Austin Corbett, if he can come back healthy and it, all signs are pointing that way hopefully it's after the bye we'll see that's going to be huge for us to establish that that run game but we need more playmakers involved in the offense adam Thielen, did i think he'd have what is he have 50 catches on the year so far uh did i think he'd be having that many catches after six games not even remotely close so i'd like to see some other guys step up so I, I, then I'll ask you a question that I think might be difficult to answer, but I think you're up for the challenge. Adam Thielen didn't come here thinking that they were going to go 0-6, right? Nobody does, but like he didn't think he was coming into a team that was you know, going to be that bad or starting over from the very, very bottom. Hayden Hurst certainly didn't. You know, I can't imagine that DJ Chark did. And, and most people didn't think that they'd be here, even if they got off to a very slow start. So I guess my question for you is, like, how are they 0-6? How did this happen? Well, I think a couple of things. I, I think if you look at the schedule – uh, you know, you start out week one, Atlanta, it, we, we had a couple of, we had some turnovers that cost us that game. Very simple. I thought we were starting to take control of the game in the third quarter when we had the lead and we were driving down and we had, um, I believe it was the interception. And then we had the fumble if memory serves me correct. And the game just got away from us. And then you go to the saints on the Monday night game, just, uh, you know, our defense really played lights out that game. We didn't get anything going. The Seattle game, Andy had to play, Threw the ball a ton. Didn't really run the ball particularly well that game. But I go back to Minnesota. Same thing. It's thirteen to ten. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, we're driving the ball down the field um, in the second in the third quarter, and Harrison Smith comes from behind, strip sack, and they return it for a touchdown. I just thought those were a couple of games we had opportunities to win. Detroit, they just they're a better football team than us right now. There's just no way around no no way around it. Miami Dolphins the same way. Well, we jumped up on them and uh, tried to contain them as much as possible, but that just wasn't the case. So I, I understand what the question about you, you didn't think we'd be 0-6. I didn't think we'd be 0-6 at that time. I don't think many people thought we'd be 0-6, but that's just part of the process of playing a young quarterback and 
let's be honest, we, we lose a stud like Christian McCaffrey to get some draft picks to help go up to get a Bryce Young at number one. We lose the number one Rod receiver, DJ Moore, to go up to get Bryce uh, Young, the number one overall pick. So we had to give up some assets to be able to attain this guy. But quarterback is the most important position uh, in the National Football League, and it's not even close. And so I truly believe if we look back in a decade from now and people don't want to hear that, it's gonna. this was the right decision. And I think the schedule gets a little bit better for us after the bye. Yes, I know there's still some good football teams, but I think it gets better. I think the growth of the quarterback will continue to grow. And I truly believe getting Corbett back and starting to get some of these injured guys back, I don't know how quickly we can, especially on the defensive side, that's going to help us kind of move forward. Because there's a brand-new defense that's also being uh, instituted also. What about the play calling change? Let's go there. Thomas Brown, uh, yes. what does that do for this team, if anything? Because I, I've been telling people this week, Jake, like I don't think it's a bad thing, but I also don't think you should get your expectations up that Thomas Brown's going to fundamentally change the way this offense looks. I, I don't think so either. And, and it's, I don't know what Thomas Brown's going to look like calling plays. I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yes, we understand the whole Sean McVay background and the, you know the jet sweeps and the, all the nakeds and the boots and the things that they do um, that the, they do it with the Rams. I'm not so sure exactly if that's going to be, you know, what his flavor is, what he wants to do. And, uh, and he certainly didn't give any indication of what he wanted to do when you watched his press conference, because I watched that intently. Uh, he's extremely well spoken. He's very, very intelligent. So I have a feeling there's going to be a few new wrinkles, maybe something different that he thinks we can maybe uh, do a little bit better, but I think a lot of it's going to come from the growth of the young quarterback. I think that's where the improvement comes. You talked about assets a second ago. Uh, that, that's not that's a painful conversation right now, Jake, for Panthers fans, especially watching Christian McCaffrey and you know, DJ Moore was NFC Player of the Week last week up in Chicago. Baker's reviving himself down in Tampa. Like I think there is a fatigue among Panthers fans of watching this team trade away really good players, only to watch them play well elsewhere. What do they do? Because the, the Brian Burns stuff is out there, and you know maybe trading Jeremy Chin was on the table, but now he's hurt, and you know Derek Brown and Adam. Like what what do they do here without you know giving up more good players? But they've got to help Bryce. What's the right thing to do here? I mean, listen, I know we don't have a first-round pick next year. I get it. But, I mean, that's the price to get up to get Bryce. But the Christian deal, we were 1-5 with Christian last year whenever he got traded, if memory serves me correct. We weren't going anywhere. That's kind of where we were. So we recouped some assets to be able to kind of move forward to somehow, some way, get get the the quarterback of the future. Um, And I guess you can say, uh, unfortunately, we went on a run. Of, of winning some games last year. Had we lost some games and and been the fifth overall pick, we would not have to give up as much. But we ended up being the ninth overall pick, and we had to give up a good amount uh, to be able to jump to number one to, to get Bryce. So I understand. I mean, listen, when you watch Christian play in San Francisco uh, colors, yeah, that is painful. Somebody's a great football player that went to a great football team, an established football team. Um, and that's why they're having the success. DJ Moore, watching him on the Thursday night a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago. Yeah, that's a, a talented player. Um, but for the most part, that was they haven't used him enough. I guess you could say in Chicago, uh, it was just that we we have a one game sample size in essence, so to speak, or one game uh, that we saw that. So we need to keep some of our guys. You can't give everybody away, in my opinion. I just. Yes, I understand the Brian Burns, but you trade him to someone who's making a playoff push or a run, so you're going to be drafting 28th, 29th, 30th in the first round. How are you going to replace him at a defensive end with that pick? 
I'm not saying it can't happen, but why would you want to do that? I think he's a guy that you want to help build around. Derek Brown, the same way. There's some pieces there. We just got to just build it. And I understand it's hard, but it takes time to try to get this thing done the right way. And so hopefully we can, you know, we can do that. Love it. Jake, last thing I'll let you go. Um, Houston coming out of the bye. And given that it's C.J. Stroud and the start that he's gotten off to, how important do you imagine it is to, to Bryce Young and Frank and Thomas to get this one in particular? I know they all count the same, but you're a competitor. Bryce is a competitor. They know who they're facing. How important is this one? Well, it's very important. And, and yeah, this is going to be coach speak because it's the next one. It's the one after the bye. We want to see, we, we want to see continued growth on our team. And, yes, Houston has surprised many um, this year, but I, I think they have, they're 3-3 three and three right now. Um, but credit to them. D'Amico Ryan has come in and done a very good job. And then they drafted uh, C.J. Stroud, who's really playing really good football. Um, and then they draft the Will Anderson kid. And then they, they've developed in the, you know, both sides of the ball. So, you know, yes, it's important for us. It's all of honor weekend. We, Julius and Moose are going in. I mean, it's a big weekend. Yes, it's important. But they're all important. But I, my thing is, do I want us to win? I want us to win just as bad as I'm sure – Frank and Bryce and Thomas and everybody else on that team, we want to win, but it's not, oh, it's not going to be the end of the world if it doesn't happen. I mean, Houston's a good team. We have to prepare to play and try to play well for more than just a half or more than three quarters and can come out of halftime and play well in the third quarter and, and try to get us a win. All you need is one, and then you can try to build from there. But growth, that's the biggest thing. We've got to just see growth as the season goes on. I think that's what we got to kind of watch for. Jake DeLome, you're the man. Thank you, brother. We appreciate the time. We'll see you soon. Have a good day. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.